Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. I can get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll. And on with the show. Hello, everyone. This is Brian Courtney. And I would like to welcome you to Short Bus Debate Club. Darren Jolly is across the table from me, as always. I, I am. Um, so we are talking about the entertainment part of vigilantes and vigilanteism. Um, so in that spirit, I would like to start off with, well, a story, a song, song and a story. I have no fucking idea what he's talking about right now. <laughs> that really fucked me up. Hold on. Okay. Somewhere in the Black Mountain Hills of Dakota, there lived a young boy named Rocky Raccoon. One day, his woman ran off with another guy. Hit young Rocky in the eye. Rocky didn't like that. He said, I'm going to get that boy. So the way the rest of the story goes is Rocky goes. He books himself a room at the local saloon. Um... His ex, whose name was McGill, she called herself Lil, but everyone knew her as Nancy, were in the next room with, she was in the next room with Dan at the hoedown. The hoedown. Um, so Rocky, equipped with a gun, busts in. Dan is faster, so he drew first and shot. Rocky, Rocky goes back in the corner. Yeah, he yeah. goes back to his room with the doctor. He says, "Ah, oh, doc, it's just a scratch." Rocky, match, match. The rocket, Rocky says, "Doc, it's only a scratch." I'll be better. I'll be better, doc, doc as soon as I am able. able. Okay, so <laughs> I didn't know that we were going to start with the white album. That's good, though. No, I uh, kind of thought about it earlier today because I entitled the last two episodes. Rocky Raccoon, Vigilante, Revenge Seeker, or Victim. And I thought it kind of matches what we were talking about, the fact that we don't really know the fucking definition because, you know, Dan hits him in the eye. Rocky didn't like that, so he gets a gun and he goes after him. He said, I'm going to get that boy. Right. <laughs> um, so really that... A wonderful song and a great album to boot. Dude, like, I heard that song, I don't even remember what radio station, but I was fucking high as hell, and that song came on at the time I didn't have a car, and Roger walked in, and I was like, dude, there's this song by the Beatles, and it goes, Rocky Raccoon, and I was singing just like a stoner. Yeah. And he started laughing his ass off, but he had to drive me around the rest of the day until I found the White Album. Incidentally, so. um, every time I've seen Brian sing at uh, karaoke, <laughs> he always sings fucking Rocky Raccoon. <laughs> Don't you? I it's mean, a it's terrific a, song. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the words are, are fairly simple. Um, I sing that or Bad to the Bone. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's Bad to the Bone. Because the words are easy. Because you like to go into a microphone. Well, no, I kind of like the lyrics too. I make a rich woman beg. 
dude, let's just stick with fucking All right. vigilanteism. Okay, so um, I can't. I've been kind of racking my brains trying to think of another song well, that I, I had I, to do. Go I ahead. Have one. Pumped Go. Up, pumped up kicks. Pump up the kicks. The one where, um, I, I like. I I can't even play it on here. I mean, if I can hear, if I can hear the words, I can. It's a, it's a total pop song. All the other kids with the pumped up, better run, better run, outgun my trigger. It's about a school shooting, right? Okay. So I mean, but it was a pop song. I mean, which you can't like get much more dark than to create a pop song about a school shooting. And look. Again, like I said, I'm not going to say it again, but I'll say it one time in each episode. We're not condoning these acts. We are, but we are, we are understanding these acts as something that uh, is sort of like the 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 activity comes from. So, like the one of the movies that I watched for this episode was Falling Down. Right, Falling Down is not a happy fucking movie, not by any stretch of the imagine imagination. Michael Douglas. You never actually, he's, 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 he's simultaneously both, he's really the antagonist, but it's, it follows the antagonist move, and uh, uh, Robert Duvall's the, the protagonist, because he's sort of the, the legal voice of reason, but um, he doesn't have a name, Michael Douglas doesn't have a name. The only thing that identifies him is his license plate at the beginning of the uh, angry man or some the, shit the defense. Oh, and okay. he works. He 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 works as a scientist for defense contractor, and you find out much later on into the movie that he uh, had been fired uh, a month before. He's stuck in traffic in L.A. Um, and I mean, it's just fucking gridlock on top of gridlock on top of gridlock. It's actually funny. Like, um, I I had been listening to a lot of the Foo Fighters lately, and because of that, like they're videos will come up you know in my queue when i'm listening to youtube but there's this song called walk where um uh what's the lead the, the nirvana guy from in the foo fighters the lead singer's name what's his name dave Grohl. dave Grohl. he's standing there he's he's in the car and he jumps out of the car and just walks away i did i did not realize that that is a direct reference to what happens with uh um, michael douglas it was a falling down reference it's exactly really? yeah if you watch the beginning of the of the the uh it, and then watch the beginning of falling down when michael douglas gets out you know somebody's like what what are you doing you know and he says i'm le- i'm going home you know so throughout this this show um or through, throughout the movie um he just has these chance encounters that uh become um conflicts like crazy conflicts so it starts like uh he's uh he walks away, leaves his car. Um, he ends up uh, going to this uh, corner store. He wants to call um, his ex-wife because it's his daughter's birthday that day. And he, 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 he calls once and he just like sits there and just doesn't say anything until finally his ex-wife hangs up the phone. Um, they've been estranged um, because he's a little bit of a kook and she had kind of figured this out. Um, and he doesn't really have any... Uh, stable relationship with his daughter at all. Um, so he goes into this uh, corner store that's owned by a Korean guy um, and uh, he asks for change. You got to buy something to get change. So he goes and gets a soda. It's hotter than hell outside. He's putting this Coke on his head to kind of cool him off. He takes it up to the counter and he says 85 cents. The, the Korean guy says 85 cents in you know, his, his broken English. Because this is sort of something that uh, he is this very traditional 
maybe he, he he's educated only in the sense that uh, um, that he could he's, he works for a defense contractor, but he's not very socially intelligent, right? And that that was very common, I think, in the '90s, especially in LA. Um, you know, things were ghettoed out. People lived in their own communities. When they ran into people that weren't like them, they tended to, you know, I mean, there were a lot of inflammatory things that, that came out in that time period. Well, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I thought I remember him, like, not being a blatant racist, but, like, complaining about these people taking jobs and that's why he lost his job and you know complaining i mean because they they still make those fucking stupid arguments today yeah mm -hmm. but i think and i could am i wrong no no well he so it wasn't it wasn't the job so much in that in that certain scene but yeah right. he is he is he is acting racist michael douglas is you know you should learn how to speak my language if you're going to live here um you know how much money my country gave to your money and, and the korean guys goes how much and Michael Douglas, I don't know, but I know it was a lot, you know, I mean, just, you know, like this totally like he wants to act out this, this anger, you know, but he only is trying to get enough change so that he can make this call. And he's totally belligerent and irrational. So the Korean guy grabs a baseball bat and Michael Douglas takes it away from him and then starts smashing everything inside the store because he's just like saying you marked this up too much, you know, um, he leaves, then he runs into some Latino gang members. Um, he beats the fuck out of them. They go get a bunch of guns and come and try to shoot him down. Uh, they do a drive-by and rather incompetently shoot everyone around him and don't shoot him. He goes over, they, they end up running into a car and rolling the car over. Three people are dead in the car, one's still alive. Uh, he pulls a, he takes the gun from off the ground and is like, dude, you guys aren't very good at the drive-by thing. You know, you missed. But, I mean, it just continues. He shoots one of them in the leg, and it just continues to to steamroll. You know, he ends up in the, the restaurant, you know, which is a fucking goofy-ass, hilarious moment. You Wasn't know? there a pawn shop, too? So he, it's not a pawn shop. He, and this is the only part where he really he, – he killed anybody and, and very intentionally killed somebody. He goes into an army surplus store, and That's that guy's crazy. a hyper-fucking-racist. And yeah. he I mean, he's got all this Nazi garb in the back. Uh, the cop comes into the place and uh, – the the army surplus guy thinks that um michael douglas is on his side uh, that turns out not to be the case and he michael douglas proceeds to kill this a guy who probably in my estimation like the only moment of like rational vigilanteism is when he kills the nazi guy right i i think it's hysterical that he killed the nazi guy mm -hmm. and the only reason that i say that is because I can see, and I know people like that, where they're racist mm -hmm. by saying, learn to speak my language, yeah. or what the fuck are you doing in my country, or whatever. But then he goes and... But he kills this guy for being a racist, um, which is just... Well, it wasn't just that. I mean, he starts to put the handcuffs on him. He, I mean, he really was threatening Michael Douglas's life very overtly in a similar way to the the Chicano Latino gang members. So keep smacking the table. I'm sorry, I'll stop smacking the table. No. But you're right, he's a hypocrite. And I mean and that's that's a that is definitely a theme that goes on through this whole movie until he finally ends up getting to where his wife and his daughter are at and Robert Duvall sort of figured out everything that goes on and gets there and pops a cap in Michael Douglas's ass. And this is not a romantic uh image of 
uh, vigilantism, the way that it plays out. And I like the, the, the sort of like honesty of like when I when I said in the last episode, socially constipated. I mean, Michael Douglas is the perfect example. He's not he, he's not intelligent. He doesn't try to become intelligent. He's had some things happen to him that are beyond his. He, he keeps saying, I did all these things right. You know, I, I, I did what I was told to do, you know, and I basically have been lied to is, is sort of like the conclusion that he ends to come ends up coming to. But uh, he just goes totally fucking haywire in, in the face of that. You know, I've, I've always said that, like, this entire idea that we're not to blame for anything, you know, it wasn't my fault, I didn't do it, it was this and this and this, mm-hmm. I always said that it started with Gen X, um, which I'm a part of, mm-hmm. but Michael Douglas is not part of Gen X. And so I guess some of that had to be passed from the baby boomers in order for it to be as sticky as it was with, with the Gen X crew. Um, because they just irritate the shit out of me. And when I say they, I mean like, I don't know, 95% of the Gen X population is like, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Well, you're the only fucking one here. In and we'll get we'll get more on this, but I like I you you walked in and I was watching one of my favorite uh, vigilante movies tonight in Gran Torino, and the daughter, his granddaughter, like they're at the wake of uh, their grandmother's. She just passed away, and uh, everybody's just irritated at uh, at Walt. Uh, um, Clint Eastwood, the, yeah, yeah at, at his presence, and, and uh, because he's an old fucking curmudgeon, and he is an old fucking curmudgeon, but there are, he has some interesting qualities if you get past that space, and she, as soon as she realizes that he's got a fucking, a perfect condition, 1972 Grand Torino, after he, like, her parents asked her to help him get some chairs out of the basement and everything that they had asked her to do, she seemed irritated about as if like being a part of a community, a part of a family and engaging in familial acts is, is an irritation. Like I, I don't want to over romanticize the, the nuclear family or the social, you know, spaces, but if you want to have a relationship with the people that you have a family with, you break bread with them, you know, you, you, when you have gatherings, when one of them's died, you do things to try to help to comfort that person. And while Walt as an individual obviously was not an easy person to try to comfort, if you love them, you make that effort, you, you try to find a way to do that. But until she found a, a reward in it and she asked for his fucking, your retro couch, you know, I mean, yeah, what a cunt, you know, I mean, we, and if we don't, you have to fi- find your own answers and create your own answers in a certain moment. You cannot just say that the world is evil and big and I'm a fucking victim of every single thing that happens. But a lot of that was her, I mean, so I, I think this is where you were going, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, so her parents were Gen X parents yeah, and Total pieces of shit. they just went on and passed on all of the shit like, okay, so I understand, you know, parents want to make things better than what they had it, but I think that there should be some limitation or some kind of fucking rule as to what you do. Like, that doesn't mean give them everything and 
don't make them responsible for anything because that makes a bunch of fucking worthless cocksucking kids. Not that there's anything wrong with people who like cocksucking. But there should be something. I mean, you know, the... Struggle is, Some struggle, way. struggle is a good thing. It, it, struggle does help to build, build character, regardless. If everything's handed to you, if you do not suffer, you know, and I, like I'm very stoic and, and very Buddhist about these kinds of things. Sometimes life needs to be painful. It needs to be difficult. And it, there's a value in, you know, like you don't like fucking lima beans. Well, don't eat fucking food for three days. Then you're going to fucking, you know, you, or find a way where you have to you know, get your own food, create your own food. And then maybe you're going to have a little bit of a different sense of value. And if, if anybody thinks that that's a, a conservative disposition, anybody that identifies what I just said is an anti-leftist disposition. I, 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 like I said, many times I'm a Marxist, but I never want to be identified and identified with a leftist position that thinks that everything should be handed to you. That is just fucking ridiculous. It's not distributive. It's qualitative. All right. We'll talk about Grand Trino more later. So the Gen Xers, yeah. We could, we could talk about it now if you want. Well, I, I, I kind of didn't want it because. Got your closer again. Well, I mean, okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll just sort of let this happen the way that it's like more organically. And I won't like overthink it. Like in the last episode or two episodes, I was very, you know, I was talked a lot about subjectivity. I talked a lot about how um, we ha we'd have a difficulty creating a legal disposition because people's acts of vigilantism are rooted, you know, like that Kyle Rittenhouse, I mean, he thought that what he was doing was appropriate and he was clearly doing something extra legally. You know, I, I, I don't see what he did as vigilantism at all, but there is a whole demographic of people that would agree with the way that he committed the acts that he did from that vigilante position. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was fucking, for all intents and purposes, it was... First degree murder. I mean, it was fucking planned. It was, it was planned so much that he drove from fucking Chicago yeah. to another fucking state. Yeah, like he was, he was, he was looking for trouble. I mean, and and if as as this as a leftist, if I did anything like that, there's there's little doubt that I would spend the rest of my life in prison for sure. Well, I mean, dude, it's one thing if you if you drive up there and say, you know what, we're going to go to Kenosha because we want to help these business owners protect their business from all of these rowdy Black Lives Matter people. So we're going to go up there and help protect the business. That's one thing. Because if you go in numbers, you know, then you can make like a human blockade or whatever to you know, maybe stop windows from being broken or, or people going into the store and looting, whatever. But then you're doing a bunch of good faith acts before you shoot somebody. Well, no, I'm saying it's, it's an entirely different thing to fucking throw a clip in your fucking gun and say, I'm going to Kenosha to help those people protect their shit. That's premeditated. Yeah. I mean... Yes and no. I mean, but I think that, like, I, to to be fair, like, if he went up there and he committed, so like, one of the things that he used in his defense was that, he, like, he, he didn't he say he had first aid stuff or something like that. He was going to help people that got injured. Like, if I saw him going and helping, like, if there was some footage of him going and helping some people, you know, that that had gotten, you know, uh, tear gassed or 
you know, got a knife, you know, got cut, you know, if there was something like that, like you, like you said, or you get in front of somebody's building when they're trying to go and loot it, and you sort of like, are like, no, you're not going to do this, like a good faith act, but he was a motherfucker walking up the middle of the road, like I, I don't, I don't want to say that it's premeditated just because he went up there and said that, like if he went up there and said that and did some other things, then, then that would be honest. But because he went up there and was in the fucking middle of the road walking around with a fucking gun the way that he was, then I agree with you. It is a premeditated. It's at the very least second degree, but probably should be considered first degree murder at that point. But it depends on what he was doing. Yeah, I I, I clearly don't know the answer. <laughs> I mean, because, dude, if, if I would have been the judge, I probably would have fucking excused the jury. And I would have fucking laid down a verdict on my own because the jury had to have been prejudiced. I mean, you're gonna that's gonna get a, that's gonna get appeal like in 15 seconds. Maybe. Yeah. But it's a political case anyway, so why not make a political act? Is that your? No, my point is, is that well, if I tell him he's guilty, uh-huh. and then I say sentencing will be next week. And I sentenced him to fucking 20 to life in Kenosha State Wisconsin Prison. State Prison. Yeah. Um, well, no, I said Kenosha on purpose, but oh. yeah, I know it's in, <laughs> I know it's in Wisconsin. Um, Sorry, little buddy. <laughs> I sentenced him to prison. Then he goes to prison, and at the very minimum, he's probably gonna learn. A valuable fucking lesson even about if gets, even if he gets out on an appeal, right? Because he has to deal with some measure of consequences. Yeah, I like that. I don't hate that. I mean, and I I don't hate it because of what I said. Like it, it, it's it's a totally it's a, it was a show trial anyway. So why not make a political act out of it as a? But maybe what I said would make me as a judge a vigilante. Oh, I, I, the irony of that is beautiful. A vigilante judge? I mean, that's fucking awesome. Like, when you construct paradox in moments like that, that's that's true dialectical movement, you know, where you make the you make the, the thing stand on its own head because you become the anti-thing in relation to the thing itself. I fucking like that. That's good. Brian, the vigilante judge. <laughs> <laughs> We've come a long way from the duster and the shotgun. Um, okay, so... Should we go back to movies or? Well, I, I, I mean, you want to like you, the Gran Torino. So the big difference between a Gran Torino and a Falling Down is that Falling Down, he's a vigilante. That's the 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 crystallization of a, someone who's just fucking lost their fucking connection to reality. And Walt, everything that he does, I mean, he's clearly the the Jesus character. You know, he sacrifices his own life. And, and 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 so beautiful because he's clearly right wing. You know, he's he's always voting. I bet you he, he doesn't even look at the name. He voted Republican and everything from be, beginning to ending of his life. But when he got to know that Hmong family, when he got to know that crazy ass grandma that you know that spit in grandma next door, um, when Toad and him developed their relationship, and Toad sort of learned how to be who he was as himself, by himself, with, with Walt, with, um, he fucking, you know, he knew the only way that he was gonna 
stop that that Hmong game gang from coming after, especially after they raped uh, Sue Sue's and yeah, his sister. Sue. Um, the only way he was he needed to get them locked away. He needed to get remove them from the equation, or else they were never going to leave that family alone. I mean, and he fucking goes, he he locks he locks Toad Tao in, in the basement. It goes over there and and provokes them to kill him. You know, I mean. Like, I, I, I was telling you earlier, like, I went to go see that with Frank and Homeboy. Like, I had not seen anything about the fucking movie. I, I mean, Clint Eastwood sometimes is sort of a hit or miss one for me. I, I don't remember the last time before that that I had laughed out loud so fucking hard. And you could never make that movie today. You never could. All the fucking shit that he says. I mean, because he is the most racist motherfucker on the face of the earth. But even, and this is something that... All you fucking Wokies out there, you know, sitting on Twitter, you know, fucking steamrolling anybody that doesn't use a word absolutely perfectly all the time, you miss in this moment where sometimes in those internal contradictions, some real human spaces like develop out of them that uh, would not have been there before. And they, they develop organically, not by fucking standing in front of somebody and painting a fucking, you know, a scarlet letter on their forehead. So I I love the movie. I've watched it, I don't know, over and over and over again. Um, I I would say with regard to him being a racist, I think he's different than the Douglas racist because I think Douglas has been around some of those people because of where he lives or where he lived after the divorce. And this is all speculation on my part. I, I don't know you know, where he lived. Maybe it was all white. In his mom's house, remember? No, I haven't seen it since fucking 95 or whatever, dude. He Um, he moved back into his childhood room with his mom. Okay. So so maybe that neighborhood had changed. I don't know. But what I'm getting at is that racism, for the most part, is... It's kind of like why a kid is afraid of the dark. You, you have that fear of what you don't know or what you don't understand. And so that's, for the most part, what racism is. There's some other stuff that's built in and, and around it, but I mean, that's like, at the fucking core of what racism is. It's a lack of understanding. Like a rational fear rooted in ignorance? Or... Yes. Okay. Um, so Clint Eastwood is a racist, and he's saying he's telling Mexican jokes and black jokes and he hates the fact that he lives in this fucking neighborhood with all these Hmong and you know, he's, he tells Sue, why don't you fucking go live with the other Hmongs? Why did you come here to begin with? <laughs> but the minute that he starts, because he, he hated Tao, but Sue wouldn't give up and she kept not not extending an olive branch, but she kept saying, hey, 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 talk to us, talk to us, talk to us. We're very, not so fucking bad. Cute, like in the way that she... Come over here and have some food, you know, whatever. <laughs> so the minute that he started to hang around them, that lack of understanding started to disappear. And now it wasn't the Hmong he hated, it was the Hmong gang that was fucking with his entire neighborhood. I mean, it wasn't just 
Sue and the grandmother and the mom, it was, and Tao, it was the people across the street. I mean, they were terrorizing the neighborhood. So it was the Hmong gang. Now they're fucking with, he never said it, but I mean, they, they were his people at that point. When, when Tao started going and fixing all those houses and he started to have those organic connections to all of them. Yeah. yeah. He became... They were his people. Yes, they were his people at that point in time. And he was theirs as well. Yeah. And he wanted to protect all of them. So, and and that's where you and I probably disagree, is that you said he sacrificed himself. When the reality is, he was getting ready to die anyway. So I think he figured, fuck it. It's a good way to go. No, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm coughing up blood. Um... I'm going to hopefully do something that'll put these kids in, in prison for the rest of their lives so they can't fuck with everybody. So then I don't have to die miserable anyway, right? I'm going to let them fucking shoot me or whatever. Um, yeah. That's, that's, I don't think that, that that sacrifice thing, I don't think that's, I don't think those things are necessarily, I think those both can be, same, can be true at the same time. I know. I just always think a sacrifice like, I don't know, you've got more, like there's more road behind you or, or ahead of you than there is behind you type of thing. And his road was coming to a fucking let, dead let, end. Let's get to understand the legal definition of sacrifice, right? That, that isn't what I was saying. Oh, yes, it was, motherfucker. Um, you and your fucking words. <laughs> Words are important. Um, yeah, I mean, Clint Eastwood, I think all of his fucking movies are brilliant. Right. Sometimes some are better than others. This was this one was particularly fucking awesome, though. It so since beautiful. we're since we're talking about Clint Eastwood, I, I wasn't even gonna talk about this movie. But you're gonna reach back way back? Way, way back to oh. I don't know. 91, 92, The Unforgiven. Is, is that, is there vigilant? I wasn't thinking, I was thinking Dirty Hair or something like that, so. No, so, I guess, depending on how you look at it, it could be vigilantes in a couple of different ways. Mm -hmm. So, first off, he and Morgan Freeman and this other kid, who I can't remember his fucking name, are going to this little town in Wyoming to kill these two cowboys. And when I say cowboys, I mean people who work with cattle, not the gang. Um, they're going to kill two cowboys that had cut up a, a whore. And it was so funny because during this story, everybody that told it, it got a little worse. You know, they cut up her face. And then the next one, they cut up her face. They cut her up her stomach. They even cut her teats, is what one of them said. And it just well, kept getting, it was like that telephone, telephone game. game. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first part, is they go, because they do go, and they, they kill these two cowboys. Well, in the, the process, Morgan Freeman says, I can't, I can't do it. I'm not that guy anymore. Mm -hmm. And so he backs off, and it's just Clint Eastwood and the kid that kill the two. Well, Morgan Freeman is riding back to the house in Kansas 
when the posse catches him. And so Clint Eastwood finds out that they killed Morgan Freeman. And he flips his shit. I mean, so he was supposed, his character was William Money. He was infamous because he had dynamited the the railway and, and done all of this shit. So he was not only a bank and train robber, but he was just a cold-blooded killer. So the posse and Gene Hackman as the sheriff. Gene Hackman is torturing Morgan Freeman to get him to give up the names of the other two, mm -hmm. the kid and Clint Eastwood. Well, when Clint Eastwood finds out, he goes back into town and he walks in the bar and they've got Morgan Freeman, who's now dead, in a coffin propped up in front of the, the saloon. They're making a spectacle of him. Basically. And it says, this is what happens to killers in this town. So Clint Eastwood walks into the bar and he says, who's the owner of this establishment? And the saloon owner comes up. He says, it's me. And he goes, boom, and fucking shoots him. And he goes, you coward. Gene Hackman says, you coward. You just shot an unarmed man. And he said, well, he should have armed himself if he was going to decorate his place with my dead friend. <laughs> so depending on how you look at it, you know, because they weren't, they weren't law. They were going after the reward that these other sex workers had put up to get the guys that, that cut up the girl. And they put that together. That's interesting. And then he went and killed Gene Hackman and the entire fucking posse and the bar owner just because of what they did to Morgan Freeman. So it's got a couple layers of vigilantism in it. That was a, that was a trend for that time period, I mean, to be sure. Like, in the Wild West, yeah, you mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, what's uh, Tombstone? I mean... There was that that there was clear you know and and Wyatt Earp's background you know and Doc Holliday's Doc Holliday especially because Doc Holliday never he he would he did not ever play the deputize me space I mean he just well he was mostly just a gambler and a gunfighter that's what so I'm saying, he was though, a quick draw when he did it though he did it he he crossed spaces I mean it wasn't just for justice was applicable in relation to how he related to Wyatt Earp. But sometimes it was just to shut some dumb kid up, you know. Yeah. Needed to be shut up. So he always talked shit about justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know for sure. I can't say always. Um, but in the movie Tombstone, he did. Mm -hmm. But he also just—I mean—he tried to goat people on and and get them to draw on him so that he could shoot them. And William William H. Bonney was. You know, like we talked about in the past, he was going against the Santa Fe ring, which had basically used legal. I mean, that's why it had to exist back then. Like, you almost needed, at a time period when the state becomes so repressive, where people utilize or co-opt or capture the state's capabilities, and because, like I said in the last episode, the state is supposed to be the sole actor that's got the legitimate use of violence, when it oversteps a boundary where... Uh, it's it's abusing that right, then sometimes it, you have to have extra legal actors come in and vigilanteize the circumstances, like all of those people whom we, you know, we worship in our history. 
Well, you know, I, I'm not disagreeing with you with regard to, to Billy the Kid. Um, but the only, and, and maybe you did this on purpose, but I mean, our government now is oppressive and our government now is taking advantage of a lot of different things, um, you know, from helping out their fucking buddies in banking and everything else. So, I mean, we have the equivalent of a Santa Fe ring now just with one fucking farm company. I mean, J.B. Swift or J.B.S., depending on how you look at it, headquartered up in Greeley, is a huge fucking multinational corporation that deals mainly in beef, but they do, you know, some lamb and some chicken, pork. But, I mean, if you buy some shit at King Supers or Kroger, H-E-B, wherever you are, um, you're probably buying a JBS or JBS product. So, and then, I mean, fuck McDonald's and, and everybody else. So, take heed with what Darren just said. But I'm not telling you to go out and... So, like, and this is, maybe this is part of the reason why I bring it up, or we, we sort of, like, pose the question in this way. And I, I said socially constipated. I'm going to repeat that a lot because I think when people go out and fucking get big fucking swastikas on their chests and SS's on their arms and then go into a fucking mall and shoot a bunch of random people or what happened in Buffalo or what's happened in 8 million different places. And now, like I said, it's like a couple weeks ago, two of them happened in Serbia, you know, uh, the, that huge one in Christchurch a few years back. Uh, and then, uh, oh, that, that one on that Swedish Island or no, was it, it was a Swedish Island. I mean, 50 some odd kids or something like that. I mean, yeah. he literally went into the fucking woods and just, but they blame that on death metal too. Well, I which, mean, which is no different than what happened with Marilyn Manson. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it's dipshitty, you know, I mean, but the problem right now is, is that like, so like Biden, for instance, right. Uh, he is 82 years old, uh, or he will be when this election cycle is over. Like I said in the last one, uh, you have Marion Williamson and you have uh, RFK Jr. who have announced their candidacy, and they have over double-digit support, you know, and the DNC has said we are not going to have debates, and we're not going to even recognize that there's a fucking primary that needs to happen. And then you have the Trump phenomenon re, re, re sort of like, I mean, the, the only person that it looked like for a moment that would even had a, a shot at going against him is DeSantis. And uh, every time he opens his mouth, he just fucking changes feet. And because of the way that he tried to deal with his uh, little last uh, international trip and just looked woefully um, incompetent in that uh, arena, I, he's not helping himself any. So my point is, is that you're you're coming back around where we're funneling the social system is funneling two candidates that nobody fucking wants nobody fucking wants either one of these guys i don't care you know and, and the only reason why they go for biden is because they fucking don't want trump you know that that's the same kind of bullshit that they were saying when bush was coming back around for his second term no bush you know i mean at some point in time you need to start putting people into a position of or at least opening the door where we can negotiate these questions so that we feel like we're participating in it, or else what you're going to start seeing is this vigilanteism playing out in some horrible, horrible ways over and over and over again, because we 
it's clear that we have a political system that, and like, you know, I know I always, you know, sling poop at Brian when he goes vote, vote, vote. But I mean, we, I still think we need to vote, but we need to have people that are out there that are available to us that we actually, or at least, at least allow them to argue, let Biden fucking argue. If he's incapable of arguing, if he's like in the same space that Diane Feinstein is, who needs to fucking no longer be in the Senate because she doesn't have the mental capabilities of being on the fucking judicial committee, then he needs to go just like she needs to go. We need to have, we can't just pretend at playing democracy. We need to at least start having some measure of real democracy functioning or else we're going to keep having these horrible instances popping up in our face and they're they're not going to be just national they will be global because this is a pattern that's occurring all over the place well i would hope and and this is the last thing i'll say about this because this is supposed to be the fucking entertainment episode (laughs) um the i would hope that you know if one of the challengers within the DNC didn't get a debate or there wasn't a primary that one of two things, if not both would happen is that they would say, you know what? Fuck you DNC. I'm a Kennedy. I've got enough money to do whatever the fuck I want anyway. So I'm going to do like Ross Perot did and I'm just going to fund myself. You gotta buck the system at some point in time. And you can't be afraid of the consequences. And if that didn't happen, which again I, I hope that it would, but if it didn't, then I'm hoping those dipshit straight ticket democratic voters would say, Do you think this is really fair? I mean, I was gonna vote for Kennedy, but I didn't even get a chance to. Well, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do now. I guess I'll just vote for the lesser of two evils like I always do. Mm. You know what would be interesting? If you could elect a guy like a, like a, a popular enough libertarian and a popular enough green to where you would, you know, you could if you could get 18 or 20% of the vote on both of those sides, you know, you know what I'm saying? Then you don't get the electoral, you know, that, that would, that would, then you're not dealing with the problem of, uh, an ex- extra left, you know, making it so that Democrat can't win, Democrat can't win, and an extra right making it so that a Republican can't win. You neutralize both at the same time, and you demonstrate the problem with the system writ large. I like that. We need a Ross Perot and uh, Bernie Williams. You know, not Bernie Williams. He was a baseball player. Right. Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I got a couple of his rookie cards. He's a very good baseball player. Very good center fielder. With uh, Bernie Bernie Sanders, but a new, you know, like RFK, like somebody who's going to take a bite, a 20% bite of the, the total count. I know, but that's, I mean, I always accuse the GOP of infiltrating the Libertarian Party and cracking it, well, which they did. they did. Yeah, with Pat Buchanan, absolutely they did. Um, but I think the DNC would do the same thing with the Greens or anybody else because they don't want that to happen. Um, because there's also some money that's going to go to the wayside if that percentage gets too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really why they're in this anyway. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't give a fuck about you or me or 
any of the fucking crackheads that are walking up and down the path. They don't even really honestly care about the rich people except for the fact that they donate more money to them. Um, so, I don't know. I, You're right. That's why they ran Pat Buchanan, though. Because it had, had somebody like Ross Perot won, run for a third time in a row, they would have hit the 5% mark and they would have had funding from here to fucking eternity. Right. And that was totally the Republicans neutralizing that that candidate. And, the, I mean, the Greens have never even gotten close to 5% over and over and over again. Dude, we, the li- well, I say we, the Libertarians haven't come anywhere near 5% mm-hmm. for almost 30 fucking years now. The Reform Party was the closest. Yeah, on any on any side, the Reform Party was the closest. So. I think over the past few years, Libertarians have been able to drag about one and three quarters. Yeah, percent. one and one and a half is what I was. Yeah, somewhere between one and two, one, one and a half and two. Yeah, depending on the state. Yeah. I mean, because this last election, that fucking dude in Utah ended up getting a ton of votes. I think he was. I mean, he was in double digits, but it was just a fucking state race. That's, so that's like Denver. Den, Denver, you're always going to get the. Uh, you're going to get the Democrat at like 75 and then you'll get a socialist at like 19, you know, but, right. And then 3% for, for orange Cheeto head motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's fucking circle back to some sort of fucking entertaining thing. Not that that wasn't entertaining. I haven't seen the unforgiven since it came out. I probably need to go back and watch that again. Dude, it's one of my favorite fucking movies, but I, it's on HBO now. Um, yeah, I, saw I think all of the Clint Eastwood movies are on there. Like huh. all of the Dirty Harry ones. Maybe not all of them, but I know Pale Rider and uh, so Pale Rider and what is what is World War Two ones? He's got a couple of World War Two ones too, doesn't he? World War Two ones. Something Ridge, Heartbreak Ridge. Heartbreak Ridge, but that was more. That was supposed to be the Korean War, was but it? he had okay. come back, and so it was it was done in the eighties. I mean, like Mario Van Peoples was in it, and he had like a mohawk and an earring, and he played in a band. Um, <laughs> but Heartbreak Ridge was more about the Marines and not because then they did the fucking. I think it was they invaded Panama and they took that crew with them. Um, and then, uh, he did, he directed or produced the one with, uh, Andrew, what's his name? The Spider-Man kid. Uh, but that one was the sniper one. No. Um, newer, newer war ones, but he did American sniper. It was the one where. They were on some fucking Pacific Island trying to get rid of the Japanese. Like Vince Vaughn was in it too. Um, letter, letter from Iwo Jima. Letters from Iwo Jima. I mean, that's what, that's clearly a World War Two movie. I don't think that's the name of what I'm okay. thinking of. Well, then he's done it. He's done a couple then, but that's the right time period. Hey, let's see who's in Flags of Our Father. That's a, that, that they're pushing up the. Uh, they're pushing up the uh, the flag and the cover of that one. God damn it! All I remember is that so this kid was from West Virginia and he 
um oh yeah that that girl that was in that fucking um Teresa Allen no Teresa something was also in it um they were from West Virginia he became a medic but refused to carry a weapon so they kept trying to drum him out of the military um but he wanted to really help out because all of these people from his town had been dying in the war and so he went over there to help and wouldn't carry a gun he wouldn't kill anybody and they were on this I think it might have been called something ridge too because there was this huge fucking rope ladder that carried you to the top of this cliff and then they were supposed to go in and try to clear out the Japanese and I cannot remember the name of that fucking movie to save my life but it doesn't have jack shit to do with vigilantes <laughs> um, that's right we get caught in some places sometimes the what one of the most recent Spider-Man were in it the, the actor that played Spider-Man in not not uh um, it's andrew something garfield yeah hacksaw ridge okay that's the one that he was in so it's hacksaw ridge and that's why okay so he's but mel gibson directed that it is it yeah. okay never mind then sam worthington and all those goofy motherfuckers milo gibson one of mel gibson's kids at this point what about uh v for vendetta that's a good uh, vigilante movie well, I was going to talk about it, but then I didn't want to hear about fucking Zizek and Day 2 again. Well, you're going to get it, no matter what, but you got to talk about V for Vendetta because it's fucking, it's a wonderful fucking vigilante movie. I mean, he's, I mean, and it's exactly perfect for the way that you framed it. I mean, was it, because it's not just for, I mean, he's, he's being a vigilante for revenge, but also because he's got a greater social purpose behind what it is that he's trying to. And he, the way that he liberates Natalie Portman from her, because uh, she has that ability in her, and he saw that, and he wanted her to be free. But, okay, so you said it's clearly for revenge, but is it? I mean, I, I would think on first glance, you'd say yes. But really, all he's doing, with the exception of that one doctor who ended up being a, a forensic pathologist or a coroner or whatever the fuck they called her in the movie, um, all of the rest of them, he was just clearing out the fucking people at the top. They were all part of the experiment. I know they were all part of the experiment. But two things can happen at the same time, right? I mean, he was clearing out the experiment, but yes, he was also cleaning out the riffraff. Well, yeah, he was just getting rid of the people. Because I don't know. Maybe because you've made me think about everything in a different way. That, and that's I'm not horrible. saying that that's a I bad thing. That. I'm saying that, like, seriously, like, initially I thought, fuck yeah, this is great. He's getting revenge on these people. But really, all he was doing was clearing out the fucking top posted people who would have the most influence in Zizek's day two. Um... You know, he's starting over, basically. Yeah, that, that, which back, I mean, that's when we ask the question, what is day two, you know, where is, you know, and I mean, of course, that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that cathartic 
you know, elimination of, of the opposition. Yes. But see, I don't know with the way that they fucked him up. I mean, because they were injecting him with chemicals and doing all kinds of shit, not to mention the fact that they basically burned him alive. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's caught in the fire. So, you know, for the rest of his life, he's got to wear fucking gloves and a mask and shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And the guy fucked, man. Right. But he, I don't know, like if it were me and that shit had happened to me, the revenge would have been a lot more than what he did. Like he just went in and killed them. Like I would have been pulling out fucking fingernails. I would have been putting salt in wounds. I would have fucking maybe dismembered them slowly. And the the beauty of his activity is exactly what you said though, because to where the, the revenge is okay. So to make your argument, the revenge was only secondary. And the perfect example of that is when he kills that the doctor who saw him the night when he broke out and he was you know he was yelling with the the burns all over it and well he liked her for some reason well she because she was she was a part of it but she wasn't she did not have the same mo as all those other individuals when he when he killed her on some level it was almost like it was a uh, how do you say it uh, not a, a gift or a blessing like a uh, like when somebody's in pain, it's not like euthanasia, but like in that, not in that headspace. It's it, it, it sort of released her from, and it was basically, you were a part of this, and I sort of made this decision about all these people that are a part of it, and you have to, you have to deal with the retribution, but I'm not going to do it in the same way that I've done it with these other people. Well, yeah, because I mean, he tells her, I did it a half an hour ago yeah. while you slept, but she, but it wasn't painful. It was real, dude. I really thought that, it, like. When I like the, the the sisters, you know, in the movies that they make, that's part of the reason why I like V for Vendetta so much. You know, I, I think the way that they say that I'm an idea and an idea can't be killed. There's just something a little bit too obnoxiously Hegelian about the way that they posit that. And it just makes me want to slap them across the face, you know. Because an idea can be stopped. But it can, it can't be killed. But the way that he said it was just a little bit too douchey, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess the right idea can't be stopped. Um, or, well, some of the wrong ones can't either. Um, yeah, I I mean, it's it's one of my favorite fucking movies. And, like, the Wachowski siblings... That was a very diplomatic way of saying that. Um, you know, the the Matrix movies, obviously, I'm a, a huge fan of. Um, Envy for Vendetta. What, I just watched something that they did also. Um, oh, Jupiter Ascending, which, I mean, that's not it's horrible, a goofy. It's but... a goofy movie, though. Yeah, it is a goofy fucking movie. There's we... some good moments, though. There are some good moments. We should have talked about that one when we were talking about the time shit. The, um... Well, I guess they weren't... Re- well, they were kind of Robin. When we were talking about the, the banks, and we ended up talking about in time when we did the sci-fi yeah, because thing they're using entire populations as disposable and, and harvesting them and shit like that yeah they're taking their life force yeah i mean 
that's why that movie pissed me off so bad though because of bees and that there were some really cool things it's like they were sitting around smoking weed and they came up with some really cool ideas but couldn't string them together to make fucking sense out of it yeah but um i i think the wachowskis as a whole do a, a pretty good job yeah. with everything well, that i, I they like did. sense eight a lot so i i, I think they again when they, they they didn't have the kind of money to run three or four seasons and they had to bang it all out in that second season. That was a fuck up. But um, Matrix Four was a fucking big mistake. Huge fucking mistake. Um, but you know, Time Warner does that shit every now and then, where they just say, you know what, we're gonna go ahead and push this shit through. Like everybody was so pissed off that the show Deadwood ended. And they're like, don't worry, we're going to have a movie. We're going to have a movie. We're going to have a movie. So everybody's waiting. Everybody's waiting. They didn't come out with the movie until like two years ago. And so by the time they showed the movie, everybody was 20 fucking years older. I mean, (laughs) so... (laughs) And they tried to get around it by doing... But I mean, even... Neo in, in The Last Matrix. He was fucking visibly older. Both of them. Yeah, Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah, totally. So. Doogie Hauser. Why the fuck did they put Doogie Hauser in that fucking movie? Um, all right. But I can't. Do you want to talk more about V for Vendetta? No, I mean, or did we. So, so don't, to cap it at least, V for, v for Vendetta is like, because we, like a lot of the stuff we were doing last time was about the ambiguity of the concept of these are clear like liberatory projects you know one of them from walt is is to you know protect the neighborhood you know and this one these are these are uh vigilantes that you kind of have to root for on some level the falling down guy you're not going to root for clint eastwood you're going to in the unforgiven you're going to root for him you know so i mean that maybe that's how you sort of start to distinguish these things this is like there are vigilantes that function in a way where they're not notoriously short-sighted maybe racist maybe ignorant uh and then there's other ones that aren't perfect but they're trying to go up against power in a society that that uh is liberatory for the bulk of people so were you tr- were you trying to segue that on purpose or am I misunderstanding? And and when I say that, I mean, because, so I was thinking of the anti-hero because people, you know, root for Batman no, or, or the yeah. Punisher or I wasn't whatever. about that, but that's a good segue there because that makes it, you're complicating it again, right? I am? Well, the, the people that create these pieces of art are complicating it through the the anti-hero well i don't know i never thought it was that fucking complicated and you know i mean i don't think most kids when they were reading punisher comic books or or batman comic books i don't think that they were sitting there going you know this is fucking weird to me i i i don't think i should like this because he's not a hero i think you're misunderstanding he's an anti-hero what i'm saying when i say complicating it okay what did you mean then We'll just go ahead and talk about your anti-heroes and we'll get into it well, in space. So it's I, not complicated in the sense that wow, this is really complicating. You 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 see a character, you either emotionally attach to it, 
you know, uh, psychologically attached to it, you know, academically, intellectually attached to it, or you don't. Right, but are we complicating it socially? I thought that's what you meant. Well, yeah, but then you said, like, but that doesn't mean that they're complicated. It's just their relationship to the system that they're engaging in is itself complicated. It is. And Spider-Man fights the Punisher in a couple of them. And Spider-Man would be considered an anti-hero. On some level, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know which one. I mean, because so obviously Batman, like I used to always fuck around and say, I am Batman. And that was before, you know, Michael Keaton said it. Um, a really long time ago. Dude. I know. You are so prescient. Well, that isn't Fucking why I said that. Ass. But... <laughs> I mean, so Batman probably is my least favorite, and I'm not even going to call him a superhero because he's not fucking super anything except rich. Um, I mean, he knows fucking karate or martial arts or whatever, but the rest of it is his money buys him as fucking gimmicks and shit, which, don't get me wrong, he's still pretty fucking cool, but not not a superhero. Um why the Punisher then? That's your favorite, right? The Punisher's your favorite? I don't know if I have. Probably, dude. I mean, all when I was a kid, Spider Man was my favorite. Spawn okay. um, is another one of those kind of anti heroes, too. He is. Because yeah. he, he turns his back on hell to, to do what he does, right? Well, and they did that shit. So, Vertigo Comics, or Vertigo, um, is kind of a another brand of dc mm -hmm. and they do all of dc's really dark shit mm -hmm. which is kind of fucking weird because dc's kind of dark anyway mm -hmm. um but spawn as a vertigo brand okay vertigo i don't know why i keep saying vertigo um but yeah i mean so that dude was military um he started asking too many questions, so the people that he was working for or with tried Got to kill him, yeah. and he ended up in hell, and he said, fuck you, I'm not going to be here, and then ended up with some fucking badass cape and whatever. I mean, he, he wasn't one of my favorites. Todd McFarlane, though. Mm -hmm. Fucking love that guy. Well, wow. is, is he the one who wrote the Spawn stuff? Yeah. What else? He I know that name. What else did he write? No, he. Uh, I don't know. Um, I love that guy, but I don't know what else he wrote. No, I didn't say I love that guy. I said he loved that guy. Spawn. Spawn Todd McFarlane loves oh, okay. Spawn. Okay. Um, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, and I I don't know enough about it. I've never read the graphic novel. I think I saw the movie once. Um, I never finished John the real life one. John Leguizamo plays the fat yeah. clown thing. Who was fucking freaky. Yeah. I don't like clowns. Especially clowns that look there from hell. Dude. And he was freaky. Um, the, the, so, the cartoon, the original cartoon movie was pretty fucking cool, though. Dustin was a psycho about that fucking show. But I really liked the cartoon movie was kind of cool. The first one. Sorry, carry on, my good man. No, it's fine. I have no idea really what to talk about because you just said, here, why don't you go ahead and talk? Um, we, were, we were jumping all over the place. I was, so the Batman is an anti-hero, though, 
the new Batman, because I watched that one yesterday, they tried to turn him back into a regular hero in that one. Like, he's like, I gotta get past my darkness. You know, I gotta reinvent myself where I'm the man of the people. It just looks, it was so fucking stupid because when you do that with somebody like Batman, you're undermining, like, the duality is, is the whole thing for him. Well, I don't know quite how things work. Like, I think that that script was based on some sort of fan fiction or something <laughs> because, you know, fans go and, start writing their own thing well i'd like to see this happen or this mm -hmm. or that and most of the time it ends up kind of trashy yeah just fucking things up and i don't know for sure if it was fan fiction or not um but it it didn't seem right to me and i didn't like the fucking fact that that twilight guy was in it yeah you love that, that. you love that robert, robert patterson yeah um Although he does come to Denver, like, I know you don't really like fish, but GB Fish and Chips here in town, he gave them a fucking, like, thumbs up or some shit. How in the fucking world do you know that Robert Patterson gave fucking some fish and chips place a two thumbs up? Because when you go to GB Fish and Chips, he's got, like, his fucking picture on the wall, and he's like, I love GB Fish well, and if, Chips. if he says that, and he's a fucking Brit, then they gotta be pretty good fish and chips, because that's where fish and chips originate. They are really fucking good. But I would have liked it, even if the fucking dipshit from the new Batman wasn't in it. Or wasn't going there. What did you think about the Christopher Nolan Batmans, though? Are you talking about the Dark Knight yeah. and all those? Uh -huh. I thought that they were great. Mm -hmm. Because I hate the Tim Burton ones. Because mm -hmm. um, everything, everything was all fucking neon and had to be all fucking happy. And He tried to comic book it a little bit too much, I think, in certain instances. Yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't like dark like it was supposed to be because he made it i don't know like kid friendly or some shit the first movie that i ever took and genie to see was batman begins and uh genie started crying and we had to leave because <laughs> that shit was a fucking dark movie dude it was yeah. it was heavy dude she was eight she was a little kid at the time so it was just a little much for her i thought all of them were great um but Christopher Nolan, I mean, because he did, whatever the fucking, they're not called the Super Friends, whatever the fucking movie is that is like the Super Friends without the Wonder Twins. Um, I don't know which one that is. Well, it's the most recent one. Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, uh, The Flash. So it's the Super Friends without the Wonder Twins. It's the Super Friends. Um, he did that one. Justice League. Yeah. Which okay, Justice League might be a better name for it, but see, like all of those guys. Well, maybe not Aquaman. He only produced that though. Incidentally, he didn't direct it. Oh, okay. Well, I knew he was involved somehow. Maybe all those guys aren't considered anti-heroes, but they all do kind of the same shit. Like, they never consider Superman a vigilante. But Superman isn't following the law. No, he's he's above it. 
both figuratively and literally. Right. <laughs> um, that's the thing then about like superheroes, then generally speaking, is that they, as 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 a rule, are are vigilantes. I mean, that was the whole fucking point of the uh, the one where they were all fighting with each other in the Civil Marvel War. One. Yeah, Civil War. Yeah, with the fucking what's his name became an apologist for the state, and well, Captain see, America said no. And that's weird too, dude. Like Iron Man is just another guy, not a superhero. Just a fucking rich guy. But I like Batman. I fucking hate Iron Man. And I, after the Civil War one, mm -hmm. I fucking fully hated him. Because of how much he was an apologist for the state. That's yeah. Funny. <laughs> I really wanted Captain America just to keep kicking his fucking ass. But isn't it just so fucking like stereotypically goofy that Captain America becomes the one that goes outside the law? You know, it doesn't matter who who's on the antithesis, but for Captain America, the the American guy, you know, to be, I'm not gonna follow the rules, Bucky guy. I'm gonna go find my friend Bucky. Bucky Wong. Screw you. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna find my friend Bucky. <laughs> That's what the fucking movie was about. Yeah, I know. I've seen it. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> um, well, but he was saying... Yeah, maybe he wasn't saying anything. I don't know. I didn't think that they had written it in to say Captain America saying, fuck you, America. I thought they had written it that way because Captain America was saying, by us doing what we're doing... We're doing what's right for America. Yeah, of course. The, I don't, but again, I don't think those two things are, you know, I mean, and yes, not just for America, but for the system at large. Yeah. You know, I mean. Right, but he's not Captain Globe. No, no. But see, this is where, like, some, some of the stuff, the Marvel stuff, and I kind of touched on this when we did the Marvel episode back then. So I kind of, re, I rewatched the, uh, the Falcon and the, the Winter Soldier one again, and uh, all those people that disappeared during the five years, there were no uh, borders during that time period. People just sort of resettled because you lost half the fucking people from the globe, so there were more resources. You know, people were you know settling into spaces, and then it's almost like private property disappeared, but then the other people came back, and everybody got banished back to their own, their own spaces. Um, and I know that in that, and I know you haven't seen the the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but there's this these red hand people, um, and they're they're tapping into um, the discontent, the global discontent, the people that were forgotten after this the the line started to be drawn again. Um, I think their point was really very strong, very good. I think that uh, if your responsibility is to put your foot back on the head of all these people who are for all intents and purposes dispossessed before this happened and they're not just possessed after it but then they get redispossessed redispossessed after the uh the 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 lines go back up and they do kind of make a point of that but they don't I, I just think that like sometimes when you have like a Captain America figure because uh, these people were clearly vigilantes in another, in a different way. Though the, those red hand people, I can't remember what the fuck their name is. I'll find it in a minute when I'm not yammering so much. 
but uh, they were definitely speaking on behalf of a, a group of people and they were acting above the law. And uh, again, very, very like reasonable and legitimate positions, but the, the Winter Soldier and fucking the Falcon were still... Is that the Disney show? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I no, haven't they, seen it. They cr- they tried to create a new Captain America because Captain America died, right? Because he got old after um, the end game or whatever it was. Um, and they pick up a, a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy to do it instead of letting Falcon do it, which, of course, is, again, I think that's half of the, the discussion in the stupid fucking movie or stupid show. Um, but... Uh, Notwithstanding that goofiness, um, they should have played into this. This uh, those other people shouldn't have been anti. You know, they they should their their plight should have been understood a little bit better by your regular heroes too. Well, so now you make me ask a question, and because at the end of was it Infinity Wars or the one right before it? Anyway, Thanos. Who's supposed to be the bad guy? Gets all of the fucking infinity stones. Yeah. And snaps his fucking fingers and 50% of the population goes away. Mm-hmm. Awesome, right? I thought it was fucking brilliant. Because, I mean, seriously. Um, talk about having resources back and being able to essentially start over. So... Now, I, I'm pretty sure I know what that makes me, since I thought what Thanos was doing was a good thing. You mean you're evil? But you're evil, Brian? I don't think I'm evil. But is Thanos a hero or an anti-hero or a vigilante? Well, I, I think that the question's important. And I mean, that's what makes him compelling. Now, obviously, what they what they try to point out is that his how he, he, he does what he does is where the problem is, right? Like they don't, they don't like the thought of just having a person snap fingers and have half, even though his argument is, is correct. Absolutely. I mean, so much so that if we continue down the path that we're going down, we will have an S curve solution that creates itself where it's going to be a lot less of less, less than half of us left when it's all said and done. Well, and it won't be the S curve won't be pretty because I don't know for sure, but in the eighties, all those little Ethiopian kids that were starving, where they had all the fucking commercials for them. I thought you were going to say that's why. Well, and they People did have the flies on their eyes and shit. Um, but all of those kids, and, and not just Ethiopia, but different places in Africa or third world countries in general, where there are starving people because of lack of water, arable land, whatever the case is. Um, I don't think that starving to death is going to be fun for anybody, and we're coming real fucking close to that. Yeah, we're definitely, uh, I mean, and I don't think this is entertaining, or uh, there's no debate, there's no debatableness to this, like, if you really believe that, if if you believe that, uh, one of two things are true, namely that resources are going to be available to us forever, or that, uh, that we're about to have the second coming of Jesus and he's going to open up the skies and uh, bring all the uh, worthy people up to heaven and send all the other ones down to hell. 
then uh, I, I would posit that that whole story about uh, the the faith guy that you know he 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 talks to God and God there's going to be a flood but I'm going to save your ass from this flood you know and the the flood comes in and he's hanging onto that root on the edge of it and this person comes by and says let me come on let me help you know God's going to come and save me you know and then the person goes by blah 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 and then after the third one the guy finally fucking drowns and dies and he's a fucking St. Peter's Gates, and he's like, God, what the fuck, dude? You told me you were going to save me. He said, I sent three motherfuckers on rafts to get you, bitch. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. I sent you some other shit, dumb fuck. So, like, people, you know, you, you can say the God thing, but you better at least damn well understand that you have to make intelligent decisions. You can't just keep making stupid fucking decisions until you burn. They can, dude. That's what the entire footprints thing is about. The footprints thing? Yeah, dude, where guy's looking down the beach and he's sitting oh, there this is where when yeah Jesus carried me well no when yeah well how come i only see one one set of footprints well that's because i was carrying you when you were having a hard life they, they don't really Fuck say the you. hard life part but that's it's first. something along those i know yeah. i've seen the stupid jesus thing yeah jesus christ yeah indeed yeah <laughs> I think that if, if, if he were here in this moment and somebody kept making those comments, I think he'd be fucking bitch slapping their asses, saying, be smart next time, motherfuckers. Use your fucking heads. I gave you a brain. Use it. Come up with solutions. Do it together. You gotta. That's the truth. Like, if you want to survive, you got to put your heads together and come up with solutions. That's the real test, right? I mean, if, 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 if the dude was here saying something to you, that's, I think, honestly, and of course, I know it's total fucking, like, uh, sacrilege for me to speak on behalf of fucking Jesus, but uh, nah. I, I think that's what he'd say. Yeah, you're a sacrilegious son of a bitch. Alright, so we're coming up on an hour and 18 minutes. Um, should we wrap up this one and do another, like, half or whatever? Well, we're gonna do a full. I mean, we're yammering easy right now. So. Well, no, I mean the other half. Oh, the other half, this. yeah. Yeah, not a half a half. Right. Just a full half, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, 720-334-ROLL. For Bus Debate Club at Yahoo.com. We'll talk to you soon. To be continued.